Welcome everyone to the Dining on a Dime podcast, where we give you tips on how to save on your monthly food budget. Now we give you the absolute best foodie news, and our professionals will give you recipes and cooking tips. So let's get the show started. All right, welcome everyone to Dining on a Dime. Today's episode, the first 15 minutes, we'll talk about pickling and fermenting with our chef, Gene Blum. Second 15 minutes of the show, we have an excellent interview with Gil from Johnson's Corner Farm. And then we're going to end this phenomenal show with Sarah Zahn uh, from All About Events in the Reading Terminal. I want to welcome our great people, our great listeners from WWDB Talk Radio. We are drive time, 6 o'clock on Tuesday. Let's get the show started. Chef Gene, let's talk about pickling and fermenting. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. So pickling and fermenting, two of the hottest trends in food for both health reasons and for preserving reasons. And so many people were getting into it during this last year of COVID. It's a new way of doing different things. And, you know, so many things that we commonly see around that are pickled or fermented, obviously pickled, pickled beets, but then things like kimchi, an absolutely wonderful Korean condiment that if you're not familiar with, you need to go out and get some kimchi and you'll be addicted to it. It's great on sandwiches. It's great as a side dish. You could even eat it as an entree. And they are both either... I'm going to interrupt you there with the kimchi, and I'm going to concur with that. I I am obsessed with uh, kimchi. And I've actually had it on grits with with some, some other veggies. It is wonderful. And it's very fibrous. <laughs> I love Yes, kimchi. it's absolutely. So kimchi is a fermented food, so it's actually a little bit healthier for you than pickled foods. But let's talk a little bit about the difference. There is a difference between pickling and fermenting, though they are so very similar. So in a basic situation, all fermented foods are pickled to one degree, but not all pickled foods are fermented. When you're pickling something, you're adding uh, an acid to it. You're adding an acidic liquid, usually vinegar, to achieve a sour flavor. When foods are fermented, the sour flavor is actually a result of the chemical reaction between the food's sugars and naturally present bacteria in the food. So there's no added acid required. That is really the biggest difference between the two. Pickling 2,000 years B.C., fermenting even longer before that. They've been around forever. They add a lot of flavor. And don't get upset or nervous when I say sour. I'm not talking bad sour. I'm talking a little bit of yogurt sour, like tanginess more than sour. It's just a really wonderful flavor sensation and does so much to go with other foods. So pickling the, you know, the easiest way to do pickling, and what they call a quick pickling, is warm vinegar that is mixed with a little bit of sugar, salt, sometimes various herbs and spices. If you're making kosher dill pickles, a lot of garlic. Uh, you pour it over your fruits and vegetables. You let them soak. You can jar them, seal them right into a jar. There is a process in canning, so please follow that process so that we don't get anyone sick. But they're going over, they could be into a crock, and then you let them sit for a while. 
and the acid that you pour in with the vinegar is going to help preserve them. It's going to change the consistency, and it's going to add a tremendous amount of flavor. Kosher dill pickles, I mentioned that. Little known thing, people say, oh, what makes a kosher dill a kosher dill different than a regular dill pickle? Nothing but extra garlic. If it says kosher dill in it, there's just extra garlic. That's what the kosher dill is. But fermenting, fermenting is so much fun. Kimchi is a fermented dish. Fermentation does not require an added acid, like I said, or it does not require heat. It can be accomplished with as little as a container and some salt, although we normally add some more spices and other things into it, but really container and some salt. Sauerkraut, easiest thing. If you take a head of cabbage, you wash it really good, you take that head of cabbage, you core it from the bottom, you get in there with a knife and you take that core out, but you keep the head intact. You fill that with salt. You put that in the container and then put a salt, put it into a salt brine liquid and just leave it out. In no time at all, a week, you're going to have sauerkraut and really good sauerkraut. I do it all the time in the winter. I grow some uh, fall cabbages when I pick my summer tomatoes and summer vegetables, and I emptied out the garden. I put in my fall crops, so I put in broccoli and things like that, and I make a lot of sauerkraut. I love it. Sauerkraut's a great dish with so many different things. But fermentation can be so much more. So what happens with fermentation? Fruit and vegetables contain a natural bacteria that when you remove them from air, by immersing them in liquid or putting them in a container, the bacteria, which is known as anaerobic bacteria, so it it thrives in the absence of air, begins a fermentation process. These natural bacteria convert to carbs and sugars, or even things like milk and soy, into an acid that becomes the ideal environment for preserving food. It's called lacto-fermentation for the most part. Not always lacto-fermentation, but that's the most common, especially when you're working with things like milk and things like that. It's always going to be. So that lactobacillus, that bacteria that grows, gives fermented foods and a drink that signature tangy, sour taste, but it also creates probiotics. And everyone today knows the trend for probiotics. Healthy bacteria in your gut that helps in digestion, helps in regulating your stomach. And for me, I've been doing probiotics and things like that for for whatever because in my job as a chef, the things I have to put in my mouth and taste on a regular basis are a little scary sometimes. (laughs) So, you know, that probiotic is a really important thing. Well, I I like that idea because it's a natural naturally occurring probiotic you're not going out and purchasing a pill you know that's a probiotic pill at the store so i like that you know this offers that option for people because you are what you eat and it does matter absolutely so three of the great ones for fermented foods and probiotics that i like that you could do on a regular basis and that are big trends today obviously number one is kombucha kombucha tea So kombucha tea starts out as a sugary tea that you could have at home, which is then fermented with the help of what's called a SCOBY. Um, It's an acronym for symbiotic culture of bacteria in yeast. But it's something that we add to it. It's kind of very close to the 
mother bacteria that we use to make vinegar. So the SCOBY bacteria and yeast eat up the sugar in the tea, transforming that tea into kind of a, a fizzy, slightly sour, fermented, but mostly non-alcoholic beverage that is relatively low in calories and sugar. It's an absolutely wonderful tea. It only takes a day to create. You can put it into a bottle, seal it then, you know, strain it out a little bit, seal it, and you have this really refreshing, healthy probiotic iced tea beverage. Another one that is a lot of fun to do is milk kefir. So it is made absolutely with milk. It's similar to yogurt or buttermilk. It has this that one little is a little tart. scary when you think about it. Right. Go ahead. I was going to say that it, I've had it numerous times. It has a little tart, that tangy tart bite that um, right. that you that we've all come to love. <laughs> so when you make yogurt, what happens in yogurt is we take the yogurt, we heat it up, we warm it up a little bit, we add a yogurt culture to it, we keep it warm so the culture can grow. With milk kefir, you don't need to do any of that. All you need to do is have what's some called some kefir grains. So kefir grains are not really grains as you would know them, like you know wheat or something else. They are gluten-free, so don't anybody panic. But they're actually tiny, kind of rubbery, knobby-looking cell structures that are the home of bacteria and yeast that ferment the kefir. The good part about this is if you make kefir on a regular basis, you'll never run out of kefir grains because <laughs> they live indefinitely. They stay the wet way, and after a while, they actually multiply, and you can start distributing and selling them to your friends and neighbors. So it's a really cool thing. So basically, and where I said it gets a little scary in this aspect, is that in kefir, you add the kefir grains to it, and usually about a teaspoon to a cup of milk is what you're going to do it. You cover the jar, you put a lid on it, and you let it sit out at room temperature for 24 hours. That freaks most people out. <laughs> but because you're getting a reaction in there and you're increasing the pH of that, changing the pH you know, to a little bit more acidic, it's actually safe. And it prevents it from spoiling while it transforms into the kefir. So I like kefir. So I loved kefir too, but so is this like the new starter sourdough craze that we can <laughs> that we can uh, make a trend? <laughs> Absolutely, and you can take if you needed to stop for a little bit. You know, you weren't going to make kefir. You were going on vacation, or whatever. Take your kefir grains. You put them in some milk and throw them in the refrigerator, and you're good. Nice. Come back; they're still ready to use. You can take them out. Take some of your kefir grains. Throw it in. And it will multiply. It's a wonderful thing. So you're going to have an abundance and start sharing them with people, other people in the, in the business. You know, that love to, you know, make kefir and, and do that. So, All right, Gene. You know, something I strongly suggest. <laughs> Thank you. In the last minute or so that we have with you, um, why don't you let us know some of the other wonderful pickle, pickling options that we can, you know, try out? So, you know, besides, I, I really strongly suggest to anybody, make kimchi. So with kimchi, you need some Napa cabbage. You need some salt. Uh, a dist I use a distilled water. I don't use a regular tap water. I use a distilled water to make mine. A lot of garlic, some fresh ginger, a little bit of sugar. 
Um, something like a fish sauce or a shrimp paste uh, also. Korean red pepper flakes. So do not substitute the regular red pepper flakes. Go out and get a jar of the Korean red pepper flakes. And then daikon radish or some good radishes that you like. Some scallions you're going to put into a jar. You're going to mix everything up. You can find a thousand recipes for it. Alter them as you want. And the trick to doing that is every day you need to go in and you need to loosen the lid on the jar to let the gases out. You'll see it. It'll fizz up. It'll actually leak out of the jar a little bit. You tighten the <clears> lid <throat> back up. When it stops fizzing and stops you know, producing gas, it's ready to go. Put it in your refrigerator. It's good for nine months. Thank you, Chef. And we have some great guests on the way. Let's go to break. You can now listen to all of our past Dining on a Dime podcast. Plus, see over 600 restaurant reviews with photos by going to www.phillyrestaurantreviews.com. And we're back. Amorous Pollock introduced this fantastic guest. Hi, so I have Gil Johnson, who is on the phone with us, calling from Johnson's Corner Farm. They are a localized farm that has expanded, and they have a rich history in New Jersey. Gil, welcome, and why don't you talk a little bit about Johnson's Farm? Yeah, so uh, first off, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Definitely uh, not my average day of uh, of work, so thank you for having me out. But yes, yeah, so... Um, my family uh, purchased the farm here in Medford in 1953. Uh, my grandparents started the farm, so I'm third generation. Um, when they first uh, bought the farm, all they grew was sweet corn. So we didn't have a market. We didn't have uh, any type of retail operation. Um, so after a couple years of doing that, um, you know, times were a little tough for uh, my dad growing up, for my grandparents. So my grandma just had this idea of, hey, instead of selling the corn to grocery stores and having them resell it, why don't we sell it straight to uh, the general public? So one day she loaded up a wagon full of corn, brought it down to the corner of Church and Hartford Road and uh, just started selling the corn from there. And then, you know, it expanded from a wagon to a shed to a bigger building to the big market we have there today. Um, And then we just started, you know, branching out in different crops, getting into pick your own produce in the 80s. Um, starting to grow other like tree fruit, like apples, peaches, cherries. Um, now we grow a bunch of stuff. Our pick your own season starts with strawberries in about mid to late May. Um, and then we go all the way through November with broccoli, cauliflower, and uh, sweet potatoes. So definitely a lot different than what it used to be. Um, we're always kind of changing and evolving, seeing what the next, you know, cool pick your own crop is. Um, but yeah, it's just a great time for families to come out and, uh, and enjoy the farm. We try to, you know, grow something for everybody. Exactly. Now you're mentioning pick your own. So why don't you talk a little bit more in depth of pick your own? Because I thought that that was a, a wonderful idea. Um, and, and how you can also incorporate that into some of your calendar events that you have with, um, the mm-hmm. little ones. Yeah. So, um, pick your own is, just like a great thing. And, you know, with COVID going on right now and people just wanting to get outside, trying to like get back in touch with tradition and stuff like that, people are really enjoying coming out um, and picking produce themselves. 
you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting sometimes when people come out because a lot of people don't really know how certain things grow. Um, like sometimes people come out and they're like, I thought strawberries grew on trees, not like, you know, in, in the strawberry patch like they do. Um, so it's, it's cool that people can kind of learn stuff about how stuff grows and then, you know, pick it fresh because it's so much better when it's fresh, take it home, eat it, cook with it. It's kind of like a full, like, experience for families it's not just the picking part it's you know educational and then you know they get something to eat at the end of the day exactly now along with that do you ever have somebody that comes in and you know offers up some way of hey you know these are the ingredients that we have here's maybe a recipe that you know Mm -hmm. you can create a dish or a meal as a family together you know as a fun activity have had yes Oh, sorry to interrupt you, but, um, yeah, we do recipes with like all the stuff that we're growing on the farm. Um, we do, a, a CSA, which is like community supported agriculture program here on the farm. Um, and that is where customers come once a week, pick up a box of fresh local produce. Um, and with that, we give them a whole bunch of different recipes, uh, for how, you know, cook stuff. We even give them ideas of how to store it, how to freeze it. Cause a lot of people can't get through, you know, a couple quarts of strawberries before they go bad. So we always try to give them tips of, you know, what to do with it um, when they get home. And because a lot of people don't understand how to store things to make their shelf life longer. So we try to, you know, cover the full uh, spectrum of, of how to handle your produce. Now, how long have you actually, has Johnson's Farm, uh, Corner Farm, offered the CSAs? And how would somebody actually, you know, want to, somebody who's, wanting to participate, be able to reach out and, and, you know, become a member of your CSA? So I've been doing it. I believe this is my seventh year doing it. Um, and to register for it, you just go on our website, johnsonsfarm.com. Um, the CSA is definitely probably of all the things to do here on the farm. It is my favorite thing to do. Um, number one, because I get to meet a lot of new people. Sometimes when I'm like, you know, busy with work i kind of see the same people every day but when people come on their like a lot of like pickup days and times i get to meet a lot of new people um and then also since i'm on the farm all the time i don't get out in the world as much as i'd like to um so it's a lot of fun meeting people and they get to you know take the stuff home cook with their kids and they're like my kids love radishes i never could get them to eat radishes before and now they love them so it's really cool to see people you know get back in touch with like local produce and really have an interest in how it's grown and pretty much everything how like we plan it and beginning to end it's just it's just a really cool time for the families and and myself to you know be connected through produce exactly now um we've actually had a discussion with another CSA farm um, and they give a discount um, for anybody who comes out and actually helps farm what, you know, you're going to be growing. Now, do you Mm -hmm. offer any of that kind of a, you know, program with your CSA as well? So what we do with ours, I call them work parties, but they're kind of just like in-depth farm tours. Um, so what I do is like, I'll, I'll send an email out to all my members. I don't force them to come out or anything. I'll be like, Hey guys, I'm going to plant potatoes on Thursday night. Who wants to come out and help? 
And then I kind of walk through the whole process with them. And then they'll come out and they'll help me um, plant the potatoes out in the field. And then later on in the summer, when they're ready, I'll give them another shout and be like, hey, guys, I'm going to harvest potatoes during this time. If you want to come out, come on out and pick the, you know, see the whole like beginning to end thing because they all remember what they looked like when we planted them and then they get to come back and have fun. So I don't necessarily put them to work. It's more of like a, a fun hangout time. But um, yeah, we definitely try to get them involved as much as they want to. But some people, you know, just want to watch, but others definitely dive in and, and get dirty with me. So it's fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Now, you mentioned the tours, which I do know that Johnson's Farms has tours and events um, that they hold throughout the, you know, your season, your growing season. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the tours that you have, you know, available and any events that might be coming up? Yes. Yeah, so um, some of the stuff we do, we do a little farmer's class here on the farm. Um, my sister Leah actually runs that and that's a weekly class that's about five weeks long um, and people can come out and it's pretty similar to kind of what I do with the CSA um, but it's geared towards like younger kids so um, she'll bring them out and she'll show them how we plant corn she'll talk about the seed then they'll go back and look at it every week and how how it's you know moving along Um, We also um, hatch uh, like chicken eggs and duck eggs with the kids too. So we have like an incubator where the kids learn about the egg, learn about like how warm the egg needs to be, the humidity, and then they get to, you know, watch that whole process. Um, So that's a cool thing we do. We also do like strawberry festivals during strawberry season where people can come out and pick strawberries. And then we have a bunch of different baked goods with um, strawberries in them. Um, you know, going throughout the summer, we do other stuff like we do Christmas in July where Santa Claus is here, believe it or not. Um, (laughs) people can take pictures of Santa. Um, and then, you know, kind of going through the season, we do other stuff, um, coming into fall, we'll be doing, uh, you know, our, our, uh, fall festivals, like pick your own pumpkins, pick your own apples. Um, and then kind of just goes through the year. And then, you know, we always finish off, we do a big light show here on the farm for Christmas. Um, Santa comes back then we do light show musical hay rides so we kind of always try to keep you know the family fun theme going th- going through the whole year for sure that's that sounds like a lot of fun now yeah. um I want to mention this because and I'm sure that both Gene and Kevin would agree you have apple cider donuts for sale mm. um we do yeah <laughs> so that is a big thing, especially in our area. I'm sure that across the country it probably is as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that you have it right now, because I was there yesterday taking photos. Um, yeah. You know, I saw that and I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's right up my alley. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what are some of the other things that you sell in your your, you know, store, your retail store area outside of just your produce? that can be available for, you know, anybody to walk in and, and be introduced to some of the local purve- purveyors? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely the donuts are our number one thing. Um, don't know where we'd be with it, like as a business without the donuts, so you got to give that a shout out. Um, but probably our next biggest, most popular thing is our chicken pot pie. Um, it's definitely the best chicken pot pie in the world. I don't know if you've had it, but it's amazing. Um, so that's 
you know, a really awesome thing for people to come in and get. You know, it's pretty much a whole meal in a pie. Um, other than that, we, you know, we have our apple pies, all our other fruit pies, um, stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, we have, like, a full dinner menu. We do dinners to go. Um, that menu kind of changes all the time. Um, we're really famous for our chicken enchiladas that we make. That's my mom's recipe hmm. um, that she was making for a while. And, you know, one night we were eating them at dinner, and my dad's like, why don't we make these at the farm? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we started making those, and, and those are really popular now. And now we even do, like, the filling for the chicken enchilada. Uh, we make that into a dip now, so it's chicken enchilada dip. Um, so, you know, we're always trying to, like, change, adapt, something fresh and new that people are liking. So, you know with COVID and everything, everyone's like eating habits change a little bit. So we're in like a transition phase trying to figure out what people want, but, uh, you know, our staples are always going to be everyone's favorite. Exactly. And, you know, I know that Gene's on the phone with us right now and, you know, I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to like find out some more information (laughs) from you. So Gene, do you have any questions for, for Gil? Well, First of all, I'm salivating before I'm chomping. <laughs> all this food being described that I'm sitting here hungry uh, with my only nutrition today was a grilled cheese. But uh, <laughs> go from there. So if I wanted to come out and have uh, an event, do you have a space where I can put together a little family you know, event and have your food there and sit down and do things like that? Do you do any type of you know, private event spaces or anything like that or you know, if I wanted to have a, a little birthday party for my, you know, young daughters or anything like that, can we come out to the farm and yeah. do something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So we have like um we call it like our birthday party area, but you know, people rent it out to do um like baby showers, um, family reunions. Um we also will do like some corporate events with businesses and stuff like that. So it's like a nice open area. Um, luckily, you know, we're just now starting that stuff back up. With COVID, it was a little difficult. Um, but, yeah, you know, people are like, like I said before, they're chomping at the bit to get outside. So we definitely have, you know, a, ni- a nice big space for people to social distance, um, you know. And it's now that we have, like, limited capacity with that area, it's it's getting booked up pretty, pretty good. Um, and then, you know, looking into the future – my dad and I are designing a uh, a barn that we're gonna that's gonna replace our greenhouses right now. It's gonna be a big open space. You know, we're hoping to do like small events um, and stuff like that in the future. So hopefully, uh, that'll kind of will break ground on that uh, next winter. Um, you know, depending on how everything goes with that. But you know, we're definitely into the event business. We love hosting um, and just you know getting people connected out on the farm and just having a good time. I think that is absolutely wonderful. I taught culinary arts for a good part of my life, and every year I made sure I did some farm visits with my students. I did a, a you know, farm-to-the-table type of program with them where we took kids out to the farms, let them experience a couple different farming experiences, bring a lot of that food back into the kitchens, and really play with the fresh produce to see the difference. I think what you're doing is absolutely wonderful for the younger generation. Thank you to see the difference and you know people don't understand the quality difference between picking a tomato and mm-hmm. bringing it in and doing that you know and and making it into a uh, you know a pan sauce right there on the spot it, it's such yeah. a different quality experience and people really yeah. don't experience that do you also yeah. sell products 
wholesale. So if I was looking, uh, I'm in the catering and events industry. So if I wanted to call one of my produce vendors and say, hey, can you guys get me some you know, Johnson Family Farm produce? So typically we don't like wholesale to like a um, like a produce company. But there are like local restaurants and breweries in the area that I work with directly. Um, but pretty much most of what we grow goes to pick your own. We really don't have like enough set aside to go wholesale. Um, you know, if we ever run into like a bumper crop of apples or corn, stuff like that, then we'll kind of go that route. Uh, but we really try to, you know, hold everything for our pick your own customers. Um, so pick your own customers is the number one priority. And then we like to pick for our own market. Um, and then my uncle has a, a farm in Jobstown, Johnson's Locust Hall Farm. So we kind of, you know, we'll send some stuff over there for him and then vice versa. But, you know, we really try to use everything we grow and sell it directly to our customer. Well, I'm looking forward to coming out this year and certainly harvesting some blueberries. Uh, <laughs> one of the things, being from Pennsylvania, I struggle to grow blueberries. I, I <laughs> I have a green yeah. thumb, and I've been in around farms my entire life, but uh, I can't get blueberries. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jersey people in Jersey are pretty good at blueberries, especially in our area. There's a, there's a lot of blueberries, and they are good. They are very good. Uh, they grow uh, wild too, you know. But certainly, mm -hmm. you can guarantee not having to get get a tick on you while searching through the mm -hmm. woods by going to Johnson's <laughs> Corner Farm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we have any ticks on our blueberry patch. <laughs> no, I don't think so either, <laughs> which so is CSAs a benefit. So you do, you know, mm -hmm. your CSAs, yeah. do you do half shares, full shares, you know? Yeah, so, uh, we, do, yeah, so we do three um, different size shares, um, a mini, small, and a large. Um, typically, the mini, I'll say, is good for one to two people, the small, three uh, to four, and the large, five to six. But with that said, it really depends on how much you cook. Um, so some people, you know, a family of four, they'll just get the mini share just to, you know, incorporate some local stuff into the regular diet, you know, get their kids introduced to stuff. Um, but, you know, my cousin and his wife, they're in the CSA and it's just the two of them and they get the large share because they cook a lot. They eat a lot of vegetables. So the, what I say that like the amount of people that, it's good for it really varies on how much you cook. Um, some people just like to be, you know, in a club, belong and be in like a community. So those people tend to go for the mini share. Um, but it really, it really depends. And I'm super flexible with people. You know, if you went for the large share and you're totally overwhelmed, I let you downgrade to a smaller one. Or, you know, if you started with the mini and you want more, I'll let you bump up. So I try to be as flexible with people as possible. Cause I know like, you know, their life doesn't revolve around the produce and, and I just need to be accommodating to them because people got other stuff going on. So, and plus I want it to be a good experience for everyone, you know, a positive experience so that they enjoy the farm, they enjoy the produce. So, you know, I, I try to have a, a size share for just about every household. Now, how often do members pick up their shares? So they come once a week. Um, we have pickups on Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, Friday afternoon and Saturday morning. Uh, when people sign up, I just ask them to choose a day that they think would best suit them. But I'm really not like 
not set in stone. I let people kind of bob and weave between days, but they just give me a ballpark when they're going to show up. That kind of helps me for what we have to pick, what I have to get from other other farms, just to make sure everything's fresh and that I don't run out at the end of the day. Because that that gets a little awkward when someone shows up for the produce and I don't have it. But that hasn't happened yet, so we're good. That is good. Now, do you ever yeah. throw in a surprise vegetable or fruit that you know somebody wouldn't normally come across? So just oh, incorpor- absolutely okay. Yeah, that... that's like my favorite thing to throw in is something crazy that people didn't even realize grew in New Jersey. And they look at me like I have three heads and they're like, what am I supposed to do with this? But at the end of the day, they do end up enjoying it. So so what would what would be an example of a, a vegetable or fruit that you've thrown in there that would surprise one of us? Um, Probably. Have you ever eaten okra before? I don't know. If I that's have. Crazy. I love okra. Yeah, so I'll throw that in. Um, I'll throw dandelion greens in there, Ooh. mustard greens, golden beets, purple carrots. Um, just a there's a bunch of different stuff I get. Um, trying to think. Clarify uh, for everybody that purple carrots are actually the original carrots in that one. Yes. That the red carrot, <laughs> the orange carrot that we see today, is We're, not what carrots originally were. They were originally purple and. You know, it's nice to see them go back to where they are in the multicolored. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'll throw in like um, yellow watermelon, orange watermelon, uh, different varieties, cantaloupe. Um, you know, I, I don't try to make it too hard for them. I, you know, I won't put in like four or five random things, but I try to keep everyone on their toes and like, you know, once a week, give them something that would be a little bit difficult for them. But, you know, if... If ever there's something in there that no, that someone's like, I'm never going to eat this, I do let them swap out, but I don't necessarily encourage it. Yeah. Now, I know that you said you, you throw in dandelion greens every so often, but have you ever thrown in edible flowers? I'm like, I harp on this with uh, with people because I love edible flowers and incorporating mm-hmm. them into, you know, meals and even cocktails. Um, but I I feel like it's it's hard to come by. So do you ever yeah. bring bring that into any of your uh, either CSAs or do you bring that you know, into the actual like retail store. So I've brought them into the retail store before, but I I've never found anyone that grows edible flowers in New Jersey. So if there's anyone listening out there that grows them, please get in contact with me. Cause I'd love to, I'd love to sell them, but I'm very strict on like whatever goes in the box has to come from the state of New Jersey. And probably 95% of the time I try to get it within our County, Burlington County, just cause you know, it, when I bring it from other farms, I want people to be it to be close enough to our farm so people can go and visit it and like get to know where they're getting the other produce from. So like, you know, I'll get stuff from um, Hunter Farms in Cinnaminson, and you know, I like to tell people about their family and how long we've been friends with them because um, the farming community we're pretty tight and like it goes back generations. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize like how many farms are still out there and operating and family farms. So I try to, you know, shed a light on that and, and let people know like what's going on so that, so they don't only come visit our farm, they go check out other people's farms. So I love that idea, you know, mm-hmm. and I definitely, I, I'm going to follow suit, follow up with you uh, to try to check out <laughs> some of the other farms too. Cause I love fresh, fresh is best. 
you know? Yes. Um, now, I'm going to circle back to, you know, incorporating the families into, you know, and, and expanding their knowledge on, on farming. You also allow field trips, given that, you know, COVID and everything's starting to open up again. You allow fo- um, field trips to Johnson's Corner Farm. Um, you want to talk a little, you know, a little about that touch base on, you know, any field trips? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously with COVID, that portion of our business kind of 100% disappeared, um, which was totally understandable. But, you know, we are getting a couple groups to come back out. Um, not really sure how that's going to shake out. I think we're, you know, a year or so away from that really coming back. But what we're doing is, like a lot of our programs we did with um, the schools, we're taking those programs and we're, you know, selling them in smaller groups. So, for instance, this past week we did um, a program that was called Farmer for a Day. And what that was is we took people out. Uh, we did a full farm tour with them. We would talk about uh, peach trees and how they're in bloom and how every flower turns into a peach. Um, They also got to see how our strawberries are coming along and kind of like the other parts of the strawberry plant. And then we took them back into the greenhouse and we did a whole planting class with them where um, they plant corn, um, string bean, a pumpkin, and a sunflower seed. And we talk about all the parts of the seed, how those different things grow. And then after they planted them, they were able to take that home. So that's something that used to be like a school trip, um, like a, a field trip. But now, you know, not many schools are doing that. We're trying to still be able to give kids that experience in like a safe, socially distanced way. So we're kind of, that's like, you know, we're changing and adapting, just trying to figure it out. Um, but, you know, everything we're doing right now, we're trying to be COVID safe, keep everyone spread out. Um, so they're still able to have a good time. Now, one more. Oh, sorry. Uh one question. I know you have some ducks and chickens out on the farm. Do you have any type of other farm animals there for people to get accustomed to or anything like that so people can really see the total farm experience? Do you have any goats yeah. or sheep? Or, you know? Yeah, so we have, uh, it's called our animal farm. We have sheep, goats, chickens, cows, uh, miniature donkeys. Uh, what was really cool last spring um, and into the summer, we had a bunch of baby goats born. I think we had like 16 baby goats all together born. So it was really cool for kids to come out, see the baby goats um, and stuff like that. So people are able to come out and feed them and everything. So it's it's really cool experience for kids like that. We also have um, a bunch of chickens um, that are out on the farm that lay brown eggs that we sell inside our market. Uh, so as long as we can keep the foxes out of that pen, it's all good, and uh, we have plenty of eggs uh, to sell in the market. So, yeah, we definitely try to shed a light and let the customers get a full, like, see how we do what we do type thing just to get, like, reconnected to the farm and see, like, really what goes on here. Now, one That's more. absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it is wonderful. Now, one more question before we have to uh, find out where to find you on social media. Mm-hmm which is what do you have coming up as on your calendar events? Because I did see that you have a few things scheduled coming up. Yes. So this weekend um, we have our spring blossom car show. Um, So we're really close with the classic car community and we do a bunch of car shows 
throughout the year. So we're going to have that one on Saturday. And um, customers are able to take a hayride around the farm and see all our fruit trees in bloom. Uh, it's a very, very beautiful scene when all the trees are in bloom, um, the different colors the flowers are. And, and we do kind of the same thing we did with the farmer for a day where we, we talk about it. Uh, the different parts of the tree. A lot of people don't realize, you know, like I said before, that each flower turns into a fruit. So we had that coming up this weekend. Um, and then in a couple of weeks, we'll start doing our Friday night barbecues. Um, again, they are also a car show uh, and people can come out. We'll be barbecuing. Um, everyone can walk around, look at cars. Um, if you bring a car, you get a free ice cream. So I don't know if you guys have a classic <laughs> car, but you can roll up and get a free ice cream. Um, and then going from there, you know, we'll have our strawberry festivals, uh, then blueberry festivals. Uh, yeah, so we'll be doing, we'll, we pretty much, you know, once strawberries start in the, in the barbecues, we, we got something going on every weekend. We try to keep it fun and exciting here on the farm for sure. That's wonderful. Now, Gil, where can our listeners find you on social media? So, um, me personally, they can find me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is farming with Gil. Uh, you know, I try to post different things we're doing on the farm and everything like that. Uh, we also have our own Instagram, Johnson's Farm, um, where we'll kind of promote different uh, events that are coming, new baked goods that are coming, um, a whole bunch of stuff like that. Uh, then on Facebook, Johnson's Corner Farm. Uh, and we also just started a TikTok a week ago. Um, uh, a gentleman that helps us with our social media aid and he kind of pushed us to do that tiktok kind of scares me it's not really my <laughs> thing but it, it's uh it's been going well the videos are a lot of fun to make our <clears throat> our younger employees love it so yeah it's been great but yeah that's where you can find us and then always on our website johnsonsfarm.com all right thank you for joining us thank Bill. you and yeah thanks for having me guys <laughs> and stay tuned for our next guest and we'll be right back after these words you can now listen to all of our past dining on a dime podcast plus see over 600 restaurant reviews with photos by going to www.phillyrestaurantreviews.com and we're back with another phenomenal guest. Chef Gene, introduce our great guest, my friend. So at this point, I would love to introduce the wonderful and talented founder and owner of All About Events, as well as the director of catering at the Reading Terminal Market, Sarah Zahn. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Excited. Our absolute pleasure. So, Sarah, in July of this year, we're going to be coming up on 15 years for All About Events, which is scary in the fact that I've known you that long. <laughs> I knew you pre-All About Events and watched it all begin and, and how amazing the time has just gone by. Tell us a little bit about All About Events, how it got started, and where it is now. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me. Um, as you just mentioned, um, it's hard to believe that 15 years is approaching. Um, I am a woman-owned business, and I started, um, my gosh, I started really back in college. I was one of those kids who had no idea what to do. I got accepted to school and didn't know what I wanted to do as a career. And I, I remember sitting on my computer as a freshman in college, and I was Googling, like, careers and events or careers um, 
you know, in this world, this hospitality world. And um, that really stemmed from helping my family plan their family parties, helping my sorority um, at a very young age plan, like the sorority socials. I just knew I had an, a knack for, for planning and I enjoyed it. Anyway, long story short, I got an internship as a freshman. Um, I redirected my college major into uh, communications and I started at a super young age of 22 or 21 uh doing weddings for friends for family for people um i worked with when i worked part-time and who would have thought 15 years later i'm you know now running this little empire um with a ton of planners underneath us full-time um doing catering for the reading to market i i will also say i have a little bit of blame on that movie that came out back in 2001 uh, the wedding planner with j-lo because as i was also trying to figure out my my path and my my goal in life that movie was just becoming, you know, very big in our world um, with her and Matthew McConaughey. And I was like, you know what, that is what I want to be. Little did I know it's nothing like that. It's extremely stressful. It makes it look so much more glamorous than what wedding planning is. But um, I think a mixture of not knowing what I wanted to do in college and having that movie hit the the big screen around those times, um, that was it. I, I decided this is what I was going to do and I never looked back. Well, I mean, well, I love the way you described your business as a little empire. It certainly is that. And I really want to emphasize one part about your business is that you are a woman-owned business that really goes out and supports other women. Uh, mm-hmm. The majority of your staff are women planners. You're always out doing events to help others and to help others get you know a foot in the door and succeed like you did. And you know, taking that one step further, I know back around 2005, you took the Temple University class in wedding planning, and then yeah. it's not too many years ago, I think about five or six years ago, that you actually became a professor at Drexel University, or <laughs> an adjunct professor at Drexel, doing the exact thing, passing that knowledge on to others. So, you know, tell us a little bit about you know what you've learned. Absolutely, and I think that is um, important. You know, I. Yes, I, you know, grew my business from a young age, but I was, like I said earlier, one of those kids who just didn't know what to do with my life. And so I found it so rewarding to talk and teach students in college about my path and how to find their own path in this industry, whether they become a wedding planner or they, you know, work in the hospitality industry for a caterer or for a hotel chain or restaurant. Um, I found in my years of learning about event planning, I had to have a lot of different jobs. I worked for a florist. I worked for a caterer. I worked at a hotel. I, I kind of did it all prior to really diving into this segment of wedding and event planning. But that gave me such a well-rounded knowledge. And so when I started teaching at Drexel, I preached that. I preached the importance of trying it all before you make your decision and, and really getting a wide range of experience before you figure out what you want to do because you may be good at something or you may be you know, surprising yourself with how much you like a different segment of, um, you know, the industry you're looking to get in, and that could help pave your way. But that's how I did. And then I taught that, and I, you know, I taught the importance of networking and the power of relationships, because all of those things, networking especially, um, you know, starting at Temple as a, a student um, in the hospitality industry and kind of learning about how it worked, I made networks from a very young age, and I never stopped making connections. So that those things combined, trying it all, trying all the different segments of hospitality, making relationships, growing my network um, of people and professionals has been what made this empire, as they call it today, successful. Because I can 
be in a bind or I need something in a minute's notice. And I have a whole Rolodex of people to call because it's been 10, 15 years of building that up. Um, so that's what I teach. That's what I, you know, anybody getting into anything, it's all about trial and error and it's all about building relationships in anything that you do. And that has certainly been my success. Well, I think part of your success too is that you are a star when it comes to multitasking and you know, wearing so many different hats uh, as a <laughs> kind of have to teacher. be. Yeah, and you know, as a wedding planner, as your role in Reading Terminal Market, and I think it's important to know for our listeners, as a new mom as well, as of one of the most adorable young men <laughs> you'll ever see. So doing all that and Thank being you. a new mom is certainly a challenge, but if anyone in this world can take on that and do it successfully, I know it would be you. Add a pandemic on top of that, too, and you really get a nice, interesting combination in 2020. New baby, thriving business, pandemic, uh, all, of the, all in the same year. It's been, um, been quite interesting, but we're making it through. Well, I know you've done some remarkable events through your career. I was there for some and, and had a lot of fun uh, attending others. Um, tell us a little bit. I, I, I know things like Pizza Festival. You've uh, been involved in parades as well, uh, doing some veteran support, and uh, have done some celebrity weddings like Jason Kelsey here for the Philadelphia Eagles and some others. Tell us what, what events stick out in your mind as the most memorable. And don't go to Grand Park Mud Fest. <laughs> yeah, well, that is one of the most memorable. I'll, I'll tell you about that in a second. But, you know, it was interesting. When I first started my career, my business was actually called All About Weddings. Um, I, I thought that weddings were going to be it for me, and I, and I really love weddings. I still do. We still do them. But I realized probably three or four years in that I did not want to limit, limit myself to weddings, and we started getting into corporate events and festivals, and um, I just find them to be so much so much fun in the, the logistical planning and, and our impact that we're making. So in, in terms of the events that we do do annually, um, you did mention, Jean, Pizza, uh, Pizza Delphia, which is a local event. It will be back in 2022. Um, Entercom is a, a big provider of that. But we do at the Navy Yard a pizza fest with about 30 different local pizza shops. You buy a ticket, very inexpensive, and you come and eat pizza all day, um, trying all the different comparisons of the Philadelphia favorites um, that show up. And uh, there's, of course, beer gardens and lots of entertainment, live music. So that one is a favorite. We also do, as you mentioned, the Veterans Parade and Festival every uh, Veterans Weekend uh, every year in November. And so that is right down Market Street. And we get to honor the amazing men and women who uh, have served for our country in a lovely parade um, that goes all the way from JFK, 21st and JFK down to 3rd Street, down Market Street. It's um, a pretty remarkable, remarkable parade and festival. You also mentioned my favorite. We, um, I've done weddings uh, for Jason Kelsey from the Philadelphia Eagles last year. My last wedding before the pandemic hit uh, here in a widespread, we did Jake Elliott's wedding to his beautiful wife, Annie. Um, I've done a bunch of, I did a pink, you can imagine the singer pink. She's from Doylestown. And when her mom turned 60, she hired me to do her mother's 60th birthday in Doylestown at this little cute dive bar. You would have never <laughs> you know, expected pink's mom to have been a fan of this really adorable dive bar in Doylestown. Um, and she pulled all the stops. I got to meet pink and her daughter Willow at the time. Um, and her husband, uh, that was a phenomenal event. I was starstruck as you could imagine. So we've done some celebrity events. We've done some big festivals. Um, but my favorite of all time, 
was probably I did a wedding at the Water Club at the Borgata, and we covered, if you've been to the Water Club in Atlantic City, we covered their pool, their infinity pool, with uh, a glass dance floor. Um, and that was just spectacular. Um, it was a winter wedding, and we, we made it feel like summer in that month and that day. Um, that was pretty cool. And then the, the last thing I'll mention is Jean had brought up, I was working a wedding with Jean probably, I think it was 2011. It was Hurricane Sandy. One of the hurricanes rolled in, Irene maybe. Um, and the tent wedding was in the middle of a field that had got completely demolished by the hurricane in terms of just mud everywhere. And we had 200 people coming rain or shine. Um, the hurricane had moved out, but the grounds remained a mess. And so my dad and Jean and a couple of us built uh, a pathway of plywood, um, this beautiful walkway to get to the tent. So guests were unscathed in terms of dirt and mud and the mess and the catering tent was just lined with eight foot tables. Essentially we made it work. But when I mentioned earlier, wedding planning is anything but glamorous. It's a matter of how quickly you can think and react and, and ultimately that's what we do best. And, and that was certainly a memorable one. Uh, any outdoor wedding around a hurricane is a recipe for an interesting day. Um, but there's, my gosh, there's so many. I could keep talking for hours. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure watching your business grow and watching you grow through all this. Uh, you know, I, I knew you right when you were getting started and had the opportunity to do many events with you through, you know, the early days and then watching you move into Reading Terminal Market now as the director of catering and, mm -hmm. you know, move the market in a whole new direction. And I know in an upcoming segment, we're going to have you on for about 30 minutes to really talk about what's going on in the market, talk about the takeout meals that you're doing, the off-premise catering that Reading Terminal Market does, everything that the market is doing under you know, your guidance and your team's guidance and Stevie and all the great people and how you transform that market in an hour from being a bustling market to an unbelievable event venue. But as we are, as they're telling me, we're getting low on time. Um, if somebody was looking to do an event and wants to reach out to the absolutely marvelous and talented um, Sarah at All About Events or do something at the Reading Terminal Market, what are their steps and how are they going to follow you on social media and how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, um, I am the event uh, event planner and uh, director of catering for Reading Terminal Market. So we do events from 50 people to 8,000. Uh, we do close Silbert Street down when necessary and we can do, uh, we've done a ton of corporate events of that size when they come into town. So we can really do anything. Our biggest um our best type of wedding or event is a wedding at the market. We do a lot of weddings and rehearsal dinners at the Reading Terminal Market. So the best way to reach us um, is just by going to our website at allabouteventsus Going to the Reading Terminal Market's website, you'll find us there, or checking out our Facebook page um, or our Instagram page, which is allabouteventsphl. Um, and again, we do everything of all sizes. The market seems big, but when you set it up for a special event uh, after hours when the market closes, it is phenomenal. You could have Bassett's, Dinnick's, Spitaro's, all of the famous um, Herschel's, all of the best of the best in Philadelphia are open for your wedding or your rehearsal dinner or your corporate event. And we do them all. We used to do 100 and some events a year before the pandemic, and we'll ramp back up soon to get back to that number. You have done an absolutely marvelous job at taking the market from, you know, the you know, average type of event to something spectacular and the number of events and what you're doing now is, is 
really just you know great credit to your hard work, the hard work of your team, and those that you know are are working alongside you. The market is bustling in events mm-hmm. and get-togethers as a result of what you're doing, and I think really bringing a great deal of attention to what I think is the best market in America, and everyone knows that I support that market in everything I do. It What's just next? voted one of the, the top tourist uh, destinations, too, so if you haven't been to the market, even if you're not looking to be there for an event, it's definitely worth stopping by. You will get the best food in Philadelphia. So before we leave, what's next for Sarah? Oh, my gosh. Um, we're getting back. We got so busy all of a sudden. Events are back. Weddings are back. Philadelphia is slowly coming back. Um, but, no, we are just going to continue making our splash and helping our clients get married and our corporate events get rebooked and uh, get ready for a really busy summer. So thank you for the opportunity. That's fantastic. Ab- absolutely. And before we leave, if anybody's trying to reach her, once again, it's all about events.us. Thank you so much, Sarah. Okay, everyone. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, Dining on a Dime One on all uh, all social media platforms. PhillyRestaurantReviews.com. You can find me uh, at Amaris Pollock or Ar Pollockus on most social media platforms. And Chef, where can they find you? You can find me at Gene Blum or IB Foodie Two on most social media platforms, or you can email me at I-B-F-O-O-D-I-E-2 at yahoo.com. I-B-F-O-O-D-I-E-2 at yahoo.com. And we'll see everybody next week.